0: Welcome to Why Knowledge Matters. Welcome. In this episode, Emeritus Professor Werner joins me to discuss community dialogue. Welcome, Professor Dr. Werner Great to have you on the show.
1: Good to be here with you, Yannick well the idea of community dialogue and includes two words community and dialogue so let's look at dialogue first um david bohm um, at one point was really concerned about the big division in the scientific community between Einstein and Niels Bohr. And he wondered how to bridge this chasm because um, the two sides were not talking together in a meaningful way. And so he came up with this idea of dialogue, which from its Greek roots, dia means through and logos is meaning. So it's the free flowing of meaning. And as he started doing these dialogues, he came up with this idea that people could really start thinking together, that thought is a system and people could think together. But in order to do that, there had to be an intentionality around that. And there had to be uh, what he called uh, proprioception. That is a self-awareness. Proprio is the self andception like perception is becoming aware. So as each person became aware of, what was the impact of the ideas and the communication on themselves they could start tuning into their own emotions and becoming aware of their own thoughts and then make a decision to share that because that becomes data in the free movement so suppose you say something that i find disturbing i can say oh I found myself getting a little worked up about that and I don't know why. And then the group together could say, okay, why was that particular idea disturbing? Uh, instead of me just lashing out or becoming angry, I say, oh, let's, let's look at why this happened. And so in this kind of uh, open, nonjudgmental um, atmosphere, it becomes uh, possible to be, become really, really creative because creativity flourishes where this, this openness to the ideas of others and a certain curiosity to probe, uh, what is there about that that's, that's really promising or what does that add to our shared understanding of things? So dialogue is one thing. Uh, David Bohm often had dialogues that were completely open-ended. There was no agenda, and it just flowed with the ideas of people. But one can have a generative dialogue around a question or around a challenge, and uh, this takes on a life of its own. Um, so community it has to do with a group of people who in some way identify with one another and have a relational system such that what, what happens among them impinges each on the other. For, so, for instance, in if you look at the city of Mostar in Bosnia as a community, it has these two clear uh, groups of people. There are the Bosniaks on one side of the river, the Croats on the other side. So at one point I led a seminar in 1999, which was just four years after the intense fighting, uh, which my seminars when I did these kinds of things were like community dialogues in that they had a dialogical space and people looked together at uh, certain ideas and how they impinged on who they were. And so we had a bringing together of people from both sides and they con- they, they contributed to a mutual understanding. And at the end, there was an imman, the uh, imam from uh, the Bosniak side of the river who volunteered to collect all the papers and to type them all up so that they could build on their ideas. And he hadn't been across the river to the Croat side for four years. So that becomes a metaphor for how a community dialogue becomes the, the place of coming together uh, of people from, uh, of different viewpoints. And if you can establish a dialogical space then uh, it becomes a place to um, build new relationships and to uh, generate ideas and to transcend the differences.
0: A fascinating concept. And what is really interesting is that you yourself really embody the concept of dialogue. And I think that's really key. Can you elaborate a little bit on the successes that you witnessed throughout your career?
1: Okay, as I uh, traveled to the Western Balkans and, and uh, indwelt the difficulties there in the early, uh, from 2006 on, I thought, you know, uh, conferences are good. They, uh, there are exchanges of ideas, but uh, couldn't we do more in terms of having an impact on the community itself? And so I started to think about community dialogues uh, as a um, systemic way of addressing deep divisions. I was invited by Indigenous people in Canada to adapt uh, this process um, to uh, their com- their. Uh, their situation because there are some deep divisions within some indigenous communities. Um, and so I came up with this idea of a three day community dialogue and why three days? Well, first of all, dialogues work best if there's a sleep in between If people are exposed to some ideas, they sleep on it, they get back together. And in three days, there are two times to sleep so people can reflect at another level each time along. And I thought three days is probably the maximum number of days that people could sort of get away to come together. And so, so we, we uh, were invited to the um, the Muskegee community uh, south of Edmonton to test out this whole process because um, it, it it was a community that that had very extreme challenges in terms of addictions and crime and youth gangs and so on and so uh there was a desire for people to address this and and what happens is that So often when there are challenges in the the community, people say, well, somebody should do something about this, but there isn't a forum where people can put their heads together and determine who is the somebody and and who should do something. And can we do something that's going to incorporate the visions and ideas of everybody? So um, we gathered 24 people together for the first dialogue. And in the course of the dialogue, we put out a question, divided people into three groups of eight, and they said, Okay, what does this question have to do with us? And eight is a really good number to start uh, generating ideas. And then they brought their ideas back. And at the very beginning, one of the people said, "Um, you know, we don't want this to be a flash in the pan. We want this to continue. We want one of these every three months. So the idea is to have a community dialogue every three months. And we should we sort of said for 10 years because uh, these things are not dealt with you know, overnight. Like you need a prolonged engagement to uh, bring about pay- change. The second uh, dialogue um, involved Manly Begay, who's a really outstanding Navajo leader and thinker and has been part of the Harvard um, Study on Native development, and they they studied all the reservations in the United States that had done well, and came up with a framework. So, so Manley was part of the community dialogue, and the second one had forty-eight people, and uh, and here's another part of a community dialogue: if you bring in the top expert, and you start with some ideas that are well-founded. And then you riff off of the ideas, you, you build off of them and say, okay, well, what do those ideas have to do with us here? Uh, and it was a very productive dialogue. There were 48. So we doubled the number of people. And at the end, the group, uh, I remember we had a, a final circle, and, and I remember one of the women saying, You know, my, my son was murdered two years ago, and that's why I'm here, because I desperately want to do something about our community, about our situation. Um, I, was, I w- was directly involved in leading these first two dialogues, but the third dialogue was completely organized by the community itself. So we had an overall facilitator and then we had facilitators for the small groups that would work, work on this. And we had 105, indicating that there was a longing on the part of the people to do something uh, about their own situation. Um, and, and this one included um, a process of forgiveness. They called in elders. So it was using community resources and community knowledge then it wasn't anything that I came up with. It was what the community wanted to do. And the other really exciting part of it is that at one of the lunch times, um, they had um, sort of like a talent time. So while we were eating lunch, they had local people uh, singing, dancing, drumming, whatever. And it became this celebratory kind of environment. Um, And uh, um, so it was really great for me to be a part of it. Uh, And my role was almost completely behind the scenes because the local people were doing it. They got the hang of how this could work. And uh, when, when people weren't around for a certain panel discussion, I just discreetly during the breaks went around, asked different people and was able to you know, get this, uh, replace the people that needed to be on a panel for that. So it went on seamlessly, but, but my role was, um, had changed to something uh, more in the background, which was perfect for me. That's exactly what I wanted to, to see. Another way of framing what's going on here is that, um, that we developed uh, what I call mimetic structures of blessing. Mimetic is that they're reciprocal, imitative uh, structures that they go on through time. And blessing is that they're mutually uh, empowering. And and what one person does feeds the other people. And so we had a structure here that was really exemplifying that. Um, More recently, I've been engaged with the the James Bay Cree and have had some preliminary uh, dialogues among them. Uh, What they are doing is really quite innovative. Um, They have been training groups of 20 at a time to take third-party neutral training at the Canadian Institute for Conflict Resolution. So in each of their nine communities, they are building up a whole team of facilitators. So when people break into small groups of eight, they have ample people who can lead that that part of the dialogue and uh, so just one little example from there um we were talking about uh, the community dialogue program i've been working on is on um social reconciliation and economic development. And so, so here um, they were thinking about what could be done to encourage young people to take initiative and perhaps get involved in economic development. So one of the people who had knowledge of what was there in the past said, oh, you know what? There used to be a blueberry farm and, and, and it's since sort of closed down but the blueberry plants are still there so why don't we develop a blueberry farm that is run by young people they can learn entrepreneurial skills and they can perhaps make some money but they can use the blueberry farm to become a base for future economic development so it's that sort of thing that can come out of this free-flowing of ideas where people can be creative and, um, and build on uh, each other's uh, realizations. Um, I've also used this idea of uh, a generative dialogue to start um, research projects, action research projects. So one was on spirituality, emergent creativity, and reconciliation in 2009. And we had uh, almost 20 scholars from completely different fields start engaging on this theme. And it eventually led to these two books, uh, Awakening and Transforming. And um, another generative dialogue uh, using the same kind of approach was um, with 38 people um, around uh, integrative peace building. And we had the top experts from the Canadian military on... um, on a comprehensive approach. Uh, And we had representation from uh, CETA back then and from uh, foreign affairs as it was, and from the NGO community. Uh, We included uh, some of whom I think are are the gift of some of our top elders in Canada, if you like, from the military perspective. And uh, this included um, General Maurice Barry, who had been head of the peacekeeping unit uh, uh, at the United Nations during the Rwandan genocide and has uh, um, has devoted himself to uh, contributing to a more peaceful world. And General John de Chastelin, another former chief of defense staff, um, and uh, he was one of three mediators chosen to address the Um, the Northern Ireland conflict, uh, and he worked for 13 years leading up to the Belfast Agreement, uh, which which put a formal end to the hostilities there. So these kinds of individuals, uh, when you engage them in these small group dialogues, they can, they can bring so much in terms of generating ideas. So part of a really good community dialogue is who is there and who's there to represent the voices of the community, but who's there to add um, the voice of experience and contributed ideas that are, are really important. And so when we think of an integrative approach uh, here, General um, Barry could talk about his involvement in East Timor, where for a period of time, There was a mirroring of um, people from different Canadian government departments in this new country to help establish each new department that was needed in East Timor. So the whole thing worked as an integrative approach, looking at the generation of a whole new government uh, in all its parts together. So, um, anyway, those are some examples.
0: Do you see any? challenges in the future to actually get people together in the first place? In other words, how do you bring people together and start dialoguing if they simply refuse to do so?
1: Yes. And, and I think um, what distinguishes the challenges that we have now. Um, COVID, um, climate change, and um, and I guess, shifting patterns of, uh, of governance and certain challenges that come through a sophisticated use of the internet where you have misinformation that can be spread instantaneously, uh, is that the challenges become really complex. And the determining thing about complexity is that Um, There are so many variables and so many moving parts and so many things that are changing all the time. You can't go in with a logical approach that says, oh, first you do this and then you do this and then you do this and then the problem is solved. Um, So, when it comes to climate change, you have the, the environmental challenges which are enormous, but then you have Things like um, if the, the ocean rises, uh, then all of a sudden you have millions and millions of people whose homes are flood, flooded and, and so you have migrations. And so migrations then become a, a secondary problem that need to be de- dealt with. Then you have the matter of uh, international uh, agreements and how to get people to move toward appropriate targets. Um, uh, And then you have elections and some politicians not respecting what previous ones did. So there's the whole matter of uh, of government uh, of governance and uh, and and changes happening um, and so on. And so when problems are complex, then especially you need to have a dialogical approach because it enables different voices from different stakeholder groups, if you like, to think together and each one brings that portion of the challenge that needs to be dealt with, and hopefully through all that, you can, first of all, have have a variety of resources to address what's going on. And there's the potential of emergent creativity, of new ideas coming out that could never have been predicted. And if you're attentive to these new ideas, each new idea then opens up adjacent possibles. So new things become possible uh, that could never have been dreamt of before.
0: How do you approach uh, an issue in society where some parties might simply not be willing to actually participate? In other words, how do you get them on board to at least start dialoguing?
1: I think we have to recognize that that every individual is is part of a network of relationships and every individual has uh, some people uh, that they're open to some people that they trust and 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 so on. And so if you think that there are um, segments of society that at first blush will not come to some kind of a dialogue or will not participate, then the question becomes, are there people whom they trust who could come to the dialogue or could approach them? The other thing is that uh, a lot of times people don't, people have aspects to who they are that are not immediately evident. So I'll give you an example. uh, I think it was back in, in the 1960s or so that a group of young people in Italy, um, San Gidio community um, in Rome, decided they wanted to do things to reach out to others to make life better. And they started by dealing with young people with with difficulties. But then it came to them that um, that every bishop in the uh, Roman Catholic Church has to go to Rome every five years. So they said, oh, there are the people from around the world coming here. So let's offer hospitality. So they started reaching out to people coming to Rome, to the Vatican, and um, priests, bishops, whoever. And one of their friends was from Mozambique, a priest from Mozambique. He went back to Mozambique, became a bishop. And at this point, there was a civil war going on, uh, really with with all the, the killing and hurt and misunderstanding that you could you might imagine, so he, got back to his friends at San Egidio and said, you know we've got this civil war. What can we do about it? Well, they said, um, the the rebel group is is um, communist, and we have lots of communists here in Italy. So let's talk to our communist friends in Italy, and they might have links with the folks over there. And sure enough, they were able to establish a link with the rebel group through their communist connections. So an invitation was extended to the bishop to go there. And uh, he said afterwards that on his flight, uh, he didn't know whether he'd get out of there alive. So he went there and sure enough, when he met the rebel leader, it turns out they came from the same area. They knew lots of people in, in common and they talked through the night And their relationship then led to a process that brought an end to the Civil War. No one could have predicted when he got on that plane to go to the rebel territory, that the rebel leader would be somebody with whom he could establish uh, a close relationship of trust. I mean, it's that sort of thing that you have to be open to. Um, And if you're persistent, if you have hope, for instance, you have a vision a sense of expectancy that something could happen. Uh, Then you keep trying things and you you don't give up right away. You keep trying things and all of a sudden something in an unexpected way emerges that becomes the the key to then moving ahead and um, uh, making a difference.
0: Professor Werner Neufeld Redekop, it's always enlightening. To listen to you thank you so much for being on the show
1: my pleasure thanks for listening
0: Wern neufeld a cop